walking, keep walking, just got to keep walking, taking down street names like a drive-by on Google Maps, it doesn't pay to pray to a Methodist in this madness, keep walking with poets to mix joy in a city full of sadness, think of this as an audible room of one's own, a mobile home, breaking the fourth wall off the grid like releasing Connect Four at the end of the game. Today you're walking with poets, turning Charing Cross Road into Charming Crossword and Hyde Park to hide and seek for a laugh. We're just having fun, just got to keep walking. But we can stop for a think and drink, I've got a gin and tonic for ya. I know the best bars in this area. And if that's not your cup of tea, move in with me, I can be your flat white. Go viral on a coffee spree, cafes to make your heart full like latte art. Just keep walking, walking with poets. You didn't even know it, but now every sight and sound of the city is a slide to finding thoughts in your mental playground. Keep walking, walking with poets, sightseeing the poetic side of life. Welcome to the Walking With Poets podcast, where you can discover new areas of London and be inspired by original poetry written on location. Today, we're starting in Cambridge Circus, which is just up the road from Leicester Square Tube Station and is actually where we finished the first episode of this podcast. Some highlights from this episode will be Seven Dials, Covent Garden and Trafalgar Square and I've got some really special shops, restaurants and unique spots to show you along the way. As usual, watch out for the traffic and let go of your stressed self. Just think of this as a guided educational meditation and follow the podcast on Instagram and YouTube at Walking With Poets. You're standing in Cambridge Circus surrounded by listed Edwardian and Victorian buildings, including the Palace Theatre, which is hard to miss as it's currently the home of the cursed child Harry Potter play. I've seen it, and to be honest, it isn't brilliant. The staging is great, but after the nostalgic magic passes, the story is just... You're walking towards the crossing now, looking for the sign for Cambridge Circus with the theatre behind you, waiting to cross over. Crossings can be symbols for entering another world. Even as you pass over a small bridge, you might be able to feel a difference between each side of the river. Now you're about to enter a world of poetry and exploration. You're heading left after the crossing, walking towards the sign for West Street, aware of the crowd around you, but knowing each person is in their own world, preoccupied with the tasks they're following. You're going to make a break for it soon, turning right into Earlham Street and leaving the traffic and the theatre behind you. In the distance up ahead, you'll see the monument for Seven Dials. You head towards it. Bridging the gap between the nightlife of Soho and the elegance of Covent Garden is one of London's most interesting neighbourhoods, Seven Dials. The monument at its centre is named the Sundial Pillar, as each of the faces has a sundial. You'll notice it's called Seven Dials when it only has six faces. But I think that's because the pillar itself is the seventh dial, creating a shadow in the sun with the roundabout acting as the face of the clock. It was designed by Edward Pierce, who worked with Sir Christopher Wren on many churches. 
The original monument was taken down in 1773 under mysterious circumstances. Some stories say it was toppled by a rioting mob, or it was removed by thieves who believed there was treasure buried beneath it. Seven dials like a safe that might be unlocked. Besides the tube snaking tunnels, what treasures lie hidden here? New pathways to explore from the centre of a London-sized universe. You're standing under the sun of stone, with solar rays shining light into another world down every lane, each dial taking its turn to glow with the day's passing hours. People crossing walkways, and sometimes crossing paths. Chance encounters, passing numbers on the dial. Take me out to Soho, take me for dinner in Covent Garden. Who knows who or what you'll meet. You're walking towards the left dial by the Crown Pub, behind the tree where flowers hang in baskets. Now you're on Monmouth Street. It's a peaceful day in the city, with the breeze keeping things cool and people sitting out in the streets by cafes, taking a well-earned break from work, engaged in quiet conversation. There are a few clouds in the sky, but you don't think there's a chance of rain. If you were looking for buried treasure, what would you hope to find? A key to a house? A chest of gold coins would be difficult to carry and even harder to hide. Everyone has their own treasure, and until you find yours, it's easy to become distracted by whatever shines. I think finding the map is more exciting than finding the answer. Speaking of treasures, maps and quests, you're about to pass by the Covent Garden Hotel. Once upon a time, Peter Jackson, director of the Lord of the Rings film trilogy, stayed here as a guest and booked a room. He was joined by Stephen Fry, Scarlett Johansson and Kate Winslet but probably not all at the same time. <laughs> you might notice French writing engraved into the brickwork of the hotel, because this building used to be called the French Hospital, where injured soldiers from the First World War would recover. You reach the end of Monmouth Street, where the traffic starts to make noise again. On either side of you, there are two special places. To the left, across the road, you'll find Forbidden Planet. And on another dial to the right stands the astrology shop. You see the logo of a rocket against a cosmic sunset and the bright steel writing across the storefront, inviting you to check out the window display. Forbidden Planet is the world's largest science fiction and fantasy retailer. The London megastore in front of you has two floors full of comics and graphic novels. There's fiction from the world of Dungeons and Dragons, H.P. Lovecraft and Magic the Gathering, and merchandise from the greatest films and TV shows like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars, Doctor Who, Game of Thrones, Star Trek and Stranger Things. It's nice to know that in such a serious city there's a safe haven for people to have fun and imagine other worlds. You cross back to Monmouth Street and turn a corner onto Neal Street to find the astrology shop. Dark, mystic blue and written in gold, a chart of the constellations interprets you from the window. 
You step into the store and hear the ringing of wind chimes announcing you've arrived. A glimmer of light catches your eye from organised pockets of multi-coloured crystals arranged by birth months. The astrology shop offers personalised astrological birth charts and interpretations to find out whether the stars are on your side. If you want to take fate into your own hands, the astrology shop also sells a wide range of tarot decks. This very store is where I found my own tarot cards. As you pass between the bookshelves, you see Feng Shui accessories, incense, Buddha figures, candles and dream catchers. You return to Monmouth Street with your energy replenished and head back towards the Covent Garden Hotel. This time, your attention is caught by a swinging parcel above and a sign to your left, a green post that reads Neil's Yard. You enter into the brickwork alleyway, following the tunnel as it curves around the corner and opens into light. Colourful buildings stacked high on either side. A kaleidoscope of bright orange, blue, yellow, red, purple and green against the bricks, with hanging plants draping from window ledges. People are sharing slices of pizza as you pass by the restaurant and step into the courtyard. The spiritual people bet it all on the spirit, no matter what the people think of it. I'm living an alternative lifestyle to alternative lifestyles. If you want to build a prison, then brick works. Check the colours on this fit. If you're gonna put up a front, then make it multicoloured. That's why birds come in great yellow and blue tip. They all want the remedies that got me dreaming like REM sleep. Plant ideas that are herbal, chants bring them up like hairball, this space is purifying, playing a crying song for the city fighting, on the smallest violin, smiling, riling, defying, gravity like the Bermuda Triangle spaceship came to tea, if there are fairies, the fairy lights gravitate to me, cause I'm heavy, holding mass in this fairy tale courtyard. Neil's yard was made famous by a man named Nicholas Saunders. Still staying true to its hippie beat looks, Saunders published a guide to living in London designed for young people living on low incomes on the fringes of society, with alternative values and ambitions like living communally and pursuing spiritual development. Saunders moved into a warehouse here, opened a whole food shop and ran Neil's Yard Remedies. This store was founded by a woman named Romy Fraser then a teacher and single parent with two daughters who abandoned her career and opened the first Neil's Yard Remedies right here. This alternative pharmacy sells dried herbs, homeopathic products and essential oils. You walk down the slope towards the exit of Neil's Yard. As soon as you leave the yard, you see a gate and a stone archway across the street called Seven Dials Market. You enter the market hall filled with the blending aromas of street food. The perfect place to hang out after work with two bars and 19 independent food vendors. This buzzing hub of cuisine was created by Curb, founded by Petra Baran in 2010, who has reshaped London's street food image. You keep walking straight through the tunnel as grills hiss and metal scrapes against pans between orders made and hungry conversations. Back into the cool air, the sounds and flavours of the market drift away behind you. 
Turning left onto Earlham Street, the cobbled stone road slopes down towards the crown and anchor. You take a deep breath and step lightly over the stones towards the people gathering outside the pub with drinks in their hands. At the zebra crossing, you watch a taxi pass by as you turn right onto Neal Street. A man of power once told me that it's good for a warrior to walk a distance every day and that memory isn't just stored in our mind, but in every cell of our body. In fact, our legs hold the most memory. A man has become more and more confused in modern times because we spend most of our time sitting down. When we walk, we activate the memories stored in our legs and thoughts become clearer. I've often found a good walk can stir up my creativity and spread it through my body like mixing together ingredients in a drink. Perhaps we can literally walk away from our problems, or at least into a solution to face them. It seems the more we create devices to simplify our lives, the less time we enjoy simply moving the body we've been given. You reach the end of Neal Street by the huge tree with spring-smelling leaves. The size of the shuffling crowd increases as you see Covent Garden tube station ahead. Carefully you cross over the road, dodging between the passers-by and heading down the sloping street towards the market building that stands in the middle of the square. The walkway is guarded by the nag's head and the white lion pubs filled with customers. You can feel the excitement in the air as you approach Covent Garden. The first historical record of Covent Garden is from 1200, when it was just a stretch of fields, and literally a garden. In 1630, the Earl of Bedford launched an ambitious scheme to make the first public square in England. He called up the legendary Inigo Jones, the eminent architect of the age. They tore down buildings that the Earl owned north of the Strand and created Covent Garden Piazza. Due to a growing, shady reputation, there were plans in the 1970s to demolish the courtyard. However, thanks to campaigning by local residents, it reopened in 1980 as Europe's first speciality shopping centre. You head towards the main entrance of the market building, stepping up to the North Hall and Apple Market and walking under the arch. Once home to the world-famous fruit and vegetable market, this historic space continues to support market traders, displaying a range of unique handmade crafts and goods throughout the week. From Tuesday to Sunday, the apple market is filled with stalls of handmade jewellery, prints, watercolours and beautiful crafts. And every Monday, you'll find one-off antiques and collectibles. Entering the tunnel of Central Avenue leading to the South Hall, you can almost imagine shoppers from every generation since the 1700s starting their day with a trip through the market. How times have changed. And how today you could collect all of your grocery shopping without talking to a single person. The market opens up and you look towards the lower courtyard on your right and the open square of Covent Garden at the end of the row where a street artist performs in the shadow of a huge stone church. The Punch and Judy pub catches your eye and you take a moment to rest, leaning over the barricade and watching the world go by. 
Built in 1787, this listed pub retains its original stonework and all of its charm. It was named after the very first recorded Punch and Judy show in England, watched by Samuel Pepys right here in Covent Garden in 1662. You could sit upstairs on the balcony with a drink and watch the performers in the courtyard. In fact, those upper floors were used as the puppeteer's workshop. Today, the Punch and Judy pub offers traditional dishes like classic fish and chips, bangers and mash and hearty pies, a proper example of English culture. The sun falls in the early evening sky and a bright orange light is squeezed between the horizon and the edges of the church across the square. Remember when we were wealthy in goods and wares? Nowadays we sell our attention, open minds on an open market, like a slave trade that happens behind the screens. It's called self-checkout because you're giving yourself away, buying faceless commodities with wordless exchange. No one has the time to craft their own watch. Like a rigged boxing game, it's all just cheap knockoffs. I want to buy second-hand made jewellery, one of a kind. We're so obsessed with diamonds, a proposal is just the product of carbon dating. You can already simulate a marriage online. I want to renew our vows of history, keep the old with the new. Next time I'm in the boutique, I'm going to get all 1952 asking the shopkeep, fine day today, how do you do? Slowly you leave the lower courtyards behind, finishing your journey through the historic hall. You reach the small ramp back into the square and see the Jubilee Market, opened by the Queen herself in 1987. It's full of history, with the novelist Thomas de Quincey lodging and writing here. You turn right and walk along the cobbled stone towards Henrietta Street. The London traffic rumbles in the distance and the piazza hums with conversation. Turning right, you see St Paul's Church again, in front of which someone is balanced on a stacked podium with fire spinning in their hands, performing to a slowly gathering crowd. You're free to watch the watchers as an observer, like you're behind the scenes of the city. If you want to be invisible, no one will notice you. You start to walk under the large stone roof of the church and pass by black metal gates leading to a garden. This church is known as the Actors Church and this might be where their long-stemmed roses are grown. St Paul's Church became a home to London's West End Theatre District. In 1663, the Theatre Royal, Drury Lane, opened here in Covent Garden and it was soon followed by others, making this place the centre of the theatrical world, frequented by actors, musicians and dancers. The church was designed by that main man, Inigo Jones, at the request of the Earl of Bedford as part of their Covent Garden project. When asked to make a church not much bigger than a barn, Inigo said to his patron, then you shall have the handsomest barn in England. And modelled after the early Roman church, it was finished in 1633. Today, plaques line the walls of the church for those who worshipped and were buried here. Among the many famous remembered names are Noel Coward, Ellen Terry and Charlie Chaplin. At the end of the square you turn left onto King Street 
leaving the actors to prepare for the evening shows. On that note, there's never been a better time to watch the theatre in London. With the Today Ticks app, you can access something called Rush Tickets. At 10am every morning, certain London musicals and plays will release a small number of tickets for that day's performances for only £25. It's competitive, but it is possible to win tickets from the stalls to the dress circle. It's how I've managed to see so many London shows for a fraction of the cost. As you pass along King Street, you notice the high reputation clothing stores covering the lane. In between these boutiques, you see diners and a beautiful secluded restaurant. Inspired by the stylish country inns of Provence and Tuscany, Clos Maggiore is an oasis of calm and the winner of London's most romantic restaurant. Enjoy French-influenced cuisine in the Cherry Blossom Conservatory with a retractable glass roof ceiling for summer breeze and winter candles under starlight. The globally renowned wine cellar boasts over 2,500 selections for all occasions, from a modest bottle to the greatest names in the wine world. You arrive at the end of King Street, still nestled between the homes along the lane. Aiming for the Roundhouse pub, you cross over the zebra crossing and start walking along New Road. From a fine hat store to bubble tea and regional food vendors, you can find everything on this street. Waterstones for books, castle fine art and sweet Portuguese pastel donatas from Santanata. I heard from a mystical mountain saint that walking at half the speed means you see twice as much of the world. You have the free time now to see if that's true. Let your vision take its fill of the stores, the customers who pass in and out with hands full and the people who stand all day behind the counter. Listen to what this corner of the world is telling you. When I first started planning Walking With Poets, I was sitting in Café Oi, which you're about to pass, when a gentleman with long white hair walked in for a coffee. Other guests in the cafe started whispering excitedly to each other and looking in his direction. After a couple of seconds, I realised it was Brian May, the guitarist from Queen. If you slow down, you never know who or what you'll see. You may even see Brian. <laughs> Mr Fogg's Tavern awaits the successful completion of your journey of discovery down memory lane. Across the road you see the No Coward Theatre, although it probably should be called the No Cowards Theatre because getting up on stage and performing to the crowds takes a lot of nerve. You turn left onto St Martin's Lane and cross over to the opposite side of the street as you walk past the Salisbury pub. In the distance down the lane you see the London Coliseum which opened in 1904 as one of the finest concert halls in the city. At the top of the spire you see a revolving atlas, because theatre makes the world go round. <laughs> you turn right into the antique alleyway of Cecil Court. If you had kept walking along St Martin's Lane, you would have found the magical theatre cafe, where they have memorabilia and posters signed by cast members from major London shows. Inside, you can order cleverly named teas, coffees and light snacks from their themed menu, such as 
I'm not throwing away my shot. Cheese, sir. I want some more. <laughs> An Americano in Paris. My fair latte. <laughs> You're mesmerised by the collections of framed paintings, marble statues and antique silverware that doesn't seem to belong in modern London as you walk along Cecil Court. You see the attractive window displays of Watkins Spiritual Bookshop and March Payne Children's Books. March Payne Books opened in 1989, and if you are fond of books in your childhood and stories before bedtime, your heart may lead you through the door to explore your nostalgia in paper form. Inside, you can find classics like Winnie the Pooh, Peter Pan, The Wind in the Willows, The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, The Wizard of Oz, my favourite, The Little Prince, and Fairy Tales from the Ages. March pain brings much pain in the best way possible, from remembering the brighter times of youthful innocence. Why not take a trip down the rabbit hole? All grown-ups were children once, but only a few of them remember it. People my age live lives that run parallel to our dreams. Kept half alive, we walk that line. Grown up, we still fantasize about that other world like Narnia. So we lie in, watch Instagram business tips to get rich and check our reflection in the wardrobe. Our carefree joy is held and preserved in our memories. Like dust, we settle on the cracked mirror's edge where the image of our inner child hides, waiting to believe in ourselves again and be free. But like a barren tree, we be leafless. You can be the protagonist, like the secret garden's rose. Remember your bedtime stories. Don't sleep on yourself as a hero. University was a three or four year lease to be immature. Yet just like us, our loans never fully mature. You can't pass or fail a story, only pass it on. People my age smoke because the last time we had fun was when we rolled in the grass. We role played. I'm the king of the castle. Now we play dress up in suits for roles that are suitable. Life is a journey, said the little prince. It is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eyes. Every childhood book contains the unseen memories of my past life. The Watkins who founded the bookstore in 1897 was a friend of the mystic Madame Blavatsky who said, do not be afraid of your difficulties. Do not wish you could be in other circumstances than you are. For when you have made the best of an adversity, it becomes the stepping stone to a splendid opportunity. Through the glass, you can admire their collection. Their literature on the esoteric is terrific and talismans, pendants and sacred jewellery hang from the wooden shelves where crystals and tarot decks wait to find helping hands. At the end of Cecil Court, you turn left and walk down Charing Cross Road, at a crossroads with the main street traffic. Winding down towards the end of your adventure, the road winds down with you, the pavement dotted with plane trees, Platinus Hispanica to balance the pollution of buses shaking them as they pass. 
you pass by the Garrick Arms and the Garrick Theatre, opened in 1889 and now home to Bonnie and Clyde, once home to Chicago. If you get a seat in the stalls of this theatre, you can sometimes hear the Piccadilly Line tube trains rumbling through the tunnels beneath the stage. Be on Main Street, fool. Streets remain full of deceitful people who discreet push and pull, fully believe to receive the total they have to inundate. Want you one on one? Have you won a day on a holiday? Eggs with hollandaise, butter up the butter plate on a dinner date. There's no finer diner rookie. Girls the type to find a chip on your shoulder and still bite the cookie holder. You're smaller, bite sized, the hand that feeds your crumbs. The need succumbs to order and law. Wait, I got it back. They order up another law to cover up what they did in the name of the sun Just another day in the city living under the sun Just a train of thought passing by You see the church of St Martin's in the field on the horizon As you cross over the set of zebra crossings towards the large stone stairs Just further away you notice a large column piercing the sky where Nelson sits looking over Trafalgar Square and the rest of the city. On your way to St Martin's you see an ominously named the Café in the Crypt to your left and you watch people descending into the abyss. I can assure you that the burials in the crypt have been removed since it was repurposed as a café. <laughs> You climb up the stairs to the entrance of St Martin's, known as the Church of the Ever Open Door since World War I, when Vicar Shepherd gave refuge to soldiers on their way to France. I remember entering once, and sitting among the pews to get away from all the busyness. It so happened that on that day a choir was rehearsing, and became the instruments to whatever divine being they found through music. Sometimes, when I pass by, I can still hear them singing like toneful words immortalised on the stone tablets of my mind. At the bottom of the stairs to St Martin's, you wait to cross over at the lights into Trafalgar Square. You can hear fountains splashing and a person with a guitar singing popular songs. There are some homeless people waiting on the wall. I'm sure some people's souls are homeless and they wonder why they sleep rough at night. Between the rolling of the skateboarders and poorly placed street art, you walk along the top of Trafalgar Square. On special days of the year, there are often huge celebrations here, with a live stage being set up at the foot of Nelson's Column. During times of unrest, people organise around the main stairs and protest for what they believe in. If you stand... In line with the column, you can see all the way along to Big Ben and the Houses of Parliament. You turn around to see visitors on the balcony of the National Gallery, looking over the square. The gallery is free to enter, and houses a collection of over 2,300 paintings. Founded in 1824, the artwork within dates from the 13th century to 1900. My personal favourites are Hans Holbein the Younger's The Ambassadors, Leonardo da Vinci's Virgin of the Rocks, and Vincent van Gogh's Sunflowers and a Wheat Field of Cypresses. It's okay that I can't create the masterpieces in the National Gallery. It's okay to recognise that other people can be exceptional. It's okay to have a level so high 
that I have to believe in a higher power to reach it. It's okay to have beautiful things, when beauty conveys the sense that something might not have happened, almost seemed improbable, and yet it has. And it's okay that that is beautiful. It's okay that my body is alone because my purpose is not lonely. It's okay to be oriented towards self-development. It's okay to be a sapling that looks at a tree and says, wow, without saying a sapling is great remaining as a sapling. It's okay to look at a painting and not know what's going on. It's okay to call that a microcosm. It's okay to call that confusing. It's okay to be inspired without accomplishments. It's good to be afraid of what you could be if you strived for the highest possible good. It's okay to truly be you and me. You walk past the gallery to the end of the square and onto Pall Mall East. You turn around to see the top of the London Eye turning in the distance. After passing by Canada House, where Canada lives, <laughs> you turn right into Whitcomb Street. You've reached the final stretch, the runway to take off or the open arms to welcome you back to the ordinary world. See where your thoughts go when there's nothing to occupy them. Is there a time, a place or a person you return to that brings a feeling? Do you recognise that feeling or is it something new to you? When we are completely ourselves, we allow others to be completely themselves around us. It's uncommon for people to take that opportunity, but you find your true friends in the rare occasion that they do, as if the shield that we've built around our world crumbles for a moment and things start to make sense even in the chaos that truth creates. The order of lies is so distasteful. I'd send it back to the chef and complain. And how much time do we spend complaining outspokenly when within us there are many things we're happy for and proud of but never seem to voice. The world can be a merry-go-round of minor and major inconveniences we project to others to fit in. It's become so customary to speak of what's wrong rather than what's right. It's so easy to do as well and then we have to catch ourselves with the but it could be worse as if we're waiting for it to be so. And even here, I've spent the time complaining in a way that sounds uplifting. The act of poetry can be decoding the mind's trickery. I'm grateful for the existence of words to play with secret meanings and hidden messages. Two friends that I spoke to were grateful for the language of their mother tongue. Speaking three or four languages each, in another country they can slip into a language no one else around them can understand and have some privacy. I'm grateful for a city that functions even though I do nothing to contribute towards its upkeep. There's an army of invisible people who keep things ticking over for the rest of us to enjoy. I'm grateful to people who made pen and paper and wooden guitars and strings so we can be full of the scratching of ink and the hum of instruments. Nothing seems so alone or far away when we have music. I'm grateful for you listening today. And I'm grateful to be able to dedicate myself towards something worth living for. You see the iconic arch of Chinatown ahead as you reach Leicester Square, the home of movie premieres in London. 
to guide us across the bridge back to where we started in hope of returning someday again. Now my charms are all overthrown and what strength I have is mine own. Release me from my bands with the help of your good hands. Gentle breath of yours my sails must fill or else my project fails, which was to please. If you think of me more fondly, let your indulgence set me free. Our poetry will be here today and tomorrow, yet our parting is such sweet sorrow. For now the adventure is at an end, but if you follow us you shall be called to walk with poets once again. Whether we shall meet then I know not, therefore our everlasting farewell take, forever and forever farewell trustees. If we do meet again, why, we shall smile, if not, why then this parting was well made.